edition of Hatter Chatter, the podcast presented by Insight Credit Union. I'm your host, Ricky Hazel, and today we're going to spend some time learning about one of the lesser known and maybe lesser understood sports that Stetson offers. My guest today is Ethan Shoemaker, assistant coach for the Hatter's men's and women's rowing teams. Ethan is going to share with us how a guy from central Ohio found his way to the water as a collegiate rower and also teach us a little bit about the sport he's so passionate about. Ethan, welcome to Hatter Chatter, the podcast presented by Insight Credit Union. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to learning more about your sport and learning more about you. We've met, we've talked, but uh, I don't know much about you. So we're going to we're gonna explore your background and, and talk about your sport. So first things first, you're from central Ohio, Westerville, Ohio. Um, how do you get into rowing in central Ohio? That's a very good question. Um, so I moved, um, I moved to Westville, Ohio from Southern Ohio, uh, where my family originally is from, uh, when I was in, um, middle school. So around the time of 12, 13 years old, uh, and I immediately got into the sport of wrestling, uh, which I really enjoyed at the time and not knowing much about, you know, uh, that sport in general, where I came from is pretty much football and basketball were the only options if you wanted to be in sports. So, um, so I enjoyed, I enjoyed wrestling and I did that for a couple years. Uh, and then, uh, in my freshman year of high school, one of my teammates on the wrestling team encouraged me to come out for the rowing team, which there happened to be a club team, uh, in my town, which I didn't even know about until he brought it up to me. Um, and I knew absolutely nothing about the sport of rowing, um, which is probably why I resisted for such a long time to, to go. Uh, to practice, uh, but finally he convinced me to go, and I and I'll always say I, I I decided to go on the on the pure fact that he was bugging me so much about it, and I simply just wanted to get him to shut up. So I said, well, I'll go to one practice, uh, and if and when I don't like it because I know I won't, uh, then you can't ever bother me about this again. And he said that's fine. Uh, I went to one practice and and kind of liked it and thought I'd try a second one. And after three practices in a row, I quit wrestling and decided to row. Uh, and I've never never looked back since. So Westerville, Ohio, is um, suburb of Columbus, but it's um, and it's probably not a very well known nationally um, town, but it is well known for its history. Tell me a little bit about the history of Westerville. Uh, thank you. So yeah, it is it is a suburb of Columbus, Ohio. It started as a farming community, uh, and then as the city grew, as most suburbs are, as the city grew outwards, it kind of connected to Westerville, um, and and is is one of the earliest. Um, it kind of grew into this um, really interesting suburb. I, I actually got a chance to go back two years ago, and, and I and I didn't realize this as a kid, but. Now that I'm an adult and walking around, I realize that it, it really is a very typical Midwest suburb town. Um, they care a lot about school and education and um, leisure. And so the, the city is, is well known as, a, as an arbor town. It's got an, an enormous amount of parks. They're all connected through a really neat biking tra- um, uh, uh, grid that kind of connects all the different parks together. So I remember as a kid riding my bike from my house, uh, from one park to the next on these bike trails all the way across town and back. Um, uh, and it's a very, very safe place, but it, an enormous amount of um, educa- emphasis put on education, uh, which was very different from the rural community that I, I spent the first half of my childhood in. So it was kind of a culture shock in a lot of ways, but um, 
turned out to be pretty neat. Uh, and uh, one fun fact I always like to say is um, about Westerville is when I was in high school, it was during the 2008 uh, elections. Uh, I was near the end of my high school career. And, and um, during that period of time, uh, Barack Obama and, and Hillary Clinton, two candidates for the Democratic Party, were, were campaigning pretty hard against each other. Uh, and it, it crisscrossing the country all over the place. And, and if anyone remembers that election, it was it was pretty chaotic in, in some ways. Um, and at one point, by complete coincidence, um, Barack Obama went to uh, my rival high school to give a, a campaign rally. And at the exact same moment, Hillary Clinton came to my high school and gave a campaign, campaign rally. <laughs> and the schools are about two miles apart. Uh, and so I remember uh, fueling up my car at a gas station and seeing um, one of the two candidates' uh, buses go driving by, uh, and just being like, "Well, I guess that's uh, I guess the campaign rally is over." But it's one of the things you get used to when you grow up in a in a swing state like Ohio. And now I live in Florida, which is kind of the same. So well, the thing that struck me when I was reading up about the town was the fact that it was basically the home base for the movement for prohibition back in the early part of the 20th century and and its pro history of prohibition goes way back beyond that yeah actually while i while i lived there um it was a dry town when we moved there uh so you couldn't you couldn't purchase alcohol anywhere in the in the city limits um for any reason uh and when i was in near the end of my time there they passed a they they put it on the ballot to allow it to be uh to start selling alcohol uh, one one um restaurant in the center town um asked for a, a liquor license and they decided to put it on the ballot and it, it narrowly passed uh, and they served alcohol for the very first time in like a hundred and some years um, that year, once that restaurant opened up, it was a pretty huge uh, momentous occasion. And it, it, up to that point, it was one of the very last cities in the entire country that, that were still dry. Just reading up on it, it was called the dry capital of the world. And in the 1870s, they had what they called the Westerville Whiskey Wars where there was a, a local businessman who tried to open a saloon in Westerville and the townspeople who were so against alcohol blew it up, literally bombed it twice. <laughs> yeah. They, um, I think the city now, and I, I can't speak cause I haven't lived there in, in over a decade, but I mean, while I lived there, it, it always felt like to me being a teenager that the town was trying to be as boring as possible. So <laughs> those are some fun stories that I think they, they wanted to try to ignore because, um, you know, the, the the allure of suburbia in all, in in the Midwest is that um, it is a quiet place for families to grow up, and so if they if they I think if they advertise these whiskey wars too much, they'd worry that people would would not want to go to such a rambunctious city. Um, so I, I, these are these are some new facts for me as well. But I do know that the the dry town was um, was a big deal when it and there was quite a bit of protesting over that even after it was put on the ballot. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. It was it was, it was the 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 conversation of choice that year. Yeah, traditions like that die a very hard death. Yes, um, they do. So you wind up going to Marietta College. Talk about uh, moving on when you go to college and, and uh, assume rowing was a big part of that decision. Yeah. So I, I, when I was looking at schools, I basically made two lists. I made a list of schools that had rowing and a list of schools that didn't have rowing. So for one reason or another, um, at the top of both lists were uh, Ohio University on the non-rowing list and Marietta College on the rowing list, which they happened to be about 45 minutes apart. I don't know why those, you know, I ended up gravitating back to Southern Ohio, but I did. Um, 
So I ended up going to Marietta thanks to uh, some pretty good recruiting by my coach um, to convince me that I, I could row in college. I, being smaller and weaker, I didn't think I could, but he convinced me I could, and, and I gave it a shot and spent four years of my time at Marietta working my butt off to try to keep up with the guys around me. So um, I, I really, uh, I was not a phenomenal athlete in college. I wasn't that fast of a rower, but I really enjoyed my time being on the team. And I was, I probably had more heart than ca capability as an athlete. So I, I worked very hard, uh, not realizing that I didn't, uh, I probably didn't belong there. Um, but I really enjoyed it. And uh, I still keep in touch with some of those guys, even to this day. Um, and, and my coach as well. How prevalent is the sport in the middle of the country where there's not a ton of water. I know uh, Marietta, you rode on the Muskegon River, which probably a lot of people not even heard of. Correct. And the Muskegon is a tributary to one of the many, many rivers that flow into the Ohio River. And in fact, our boathouse sat right at the mouth of the Ohio River and the Muskegon River. So we spent a majority of our time actually on the Ohio, but every day we had to launch onto it and, and come off of the Muskegon. So it's a, it was a unique place. There is not a ton of rowing in the Midwest. Um, it is growing. I think it's probably one of the fastest regions for rowing in terms of growth right now. Um, but, uh, you know, even when I was in high school there, you saw the same three, four teams every weekend when you go to races and just kept racing each other. Um, and in, at the collegiate level, there's almost less, um, there is less than that even, um, so it was uh, it was extremely rare sport in the Midwest, um, but funny enough, it is the sport at Marietta. It was the very first sport uh, at the at the College of Marietta, and it, um, it it continues to be one of the biggest sports there in terms of um, importance for the university. Marietta was founded as a um, as kind of a, a second option for a lot of New Englanders uh, at the time. Uh, if it, you know, if they didn't want to be in New England, there really wasn't much else to go at that point in, in American history, except for maybe out west. And the school was started by a lot of Midwest, uh, excuse me, New, New Englanders. Uh, and so um, and so they brought rowing with them uh, out to the out to the Midwest. Uh, and that's kind of how I got it started at Marietta. So when you look at the, the very first rowing teams in the United States, uh, typically you see the top, the first 10 programs at the collegiate level. Uh, and they include mostly Ivy League schools, and then usually number eleven or number twelve, depending on which version of history you believe, uh, is Marietta. So it's it's an extremely old program with a lot of history, and it's, it's it's a pretty cool place to be for rowing. My first exposure to Marietta College was through a former baseball player at at Stetson, Adam Shally, whose mm -hmm. father, grandfather, basically are the are the are the Pete Duns of Marietta College baseball. Absolutely. That's, so that's uh, the sport I know about from there. Yeah, and, and and if if I mean at present in terms of, of success and in popularity, I think baseball is probably more important, uh, more popular than rowing at, at Marietta. But um, certainly, those are the two major sports at Marietta. It's 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 a unique place in the Midwest where football doesn't rain, uh, which you know it seems like everywhere in the Midwest everyone's talking about football, but there it was baseball and rowing, and, and I I really enjoyed the baseball uh, program's success. They won two national titles while I was there. Phenomenal coaching staff and phenomenal group of athletes, and, and uh, we, we enjoyed cheering each other on. Insight Credit Union is a proud partner of Stetson University Athletics. Insight has been bringing better banking to Central Florida for nearly 85 years. Insight Credit Union is your local go-to for lower rates on auto and other loans, credit cards, and more. Insight Credit Union and you, better together. So you graduate from college, 
you got to decide what's next. So what's next? <laughs> so not much in April of that year. Um, I wanted to get into teaching, but, um, you know, we were just coming out of the, the market crash uh, of 2008 and 2009. Um, and the country as a whole was still trying to recover. And, and, and education was lagging behind in that recovery, mostly because, you know, taxes were lagging behind. So as people went back to work and stuff, you know, it takes years for taxes to recover. Um, and so a, a lot of pr schools across the country were still in budget, uh, being very tight with their budget. So getting a job in teaching at the time was, was really challenging. And I didn't have many other options. And I was terrified of moving back to Ohio or back to Westerville, um, mostly because of what I said before. I felt like a really boring town as much as I loved it. Um, and I had a friend of mine who, who knew some people in Florida uh, and said, you know, you could move down there and, and coach a little bit while you're trying to get your foot in the door teaching uh, at this club program down there. It'd give you not a full-time job, but it'd give you something to do. And, and I thought, well, if ever I'm going to take an adventure in my life, it's probably right now uh, after I graduate college before I settled into some town. So I took the shot and I drew, I, you know, loaded up my car and I drove south and in my third day on the job, it, it turned into a, a head coaching position. And, and before I knew it, I was, I was, I was um, on my way to being a coach uh, and, and kind of gave up on the teaching thing and, and just focused on being a coach. So you moved to Brevard County where you're involved with the Space Coast crew. And it's basically a group of high school athletes that instead of having high school programs, they've all come together to form a, a rowing club. So talk about the dynamic there where you've got kids from all over different different uh, high school programs in the area and it's not just high school it's six through 12 right correct yeah so well when i started there it was just um it was just a club for high schoolers and adults uh, and then we expanded into middle school rowing uh at, at the insistence of some of my um of some of my team members um which you know i'm, I'm thankful they pushed me in that direction but um so yeah, it's it's essentially there's a lot of schools in Brevard County, and we drew from most of them. Uh, Brevard County is a very stretched out, very linear county, so it's it's difficult to get from the north and the south in in a timely manner. So mostly we just drew from central and south Brevard County. But I think at one point we had over 14 different high schools represented on our club. So it's it's a unique unique kind of experience for high school kids to row in a club uh, because they get to kind of um, get exposure to to people in their community that, that they might not otherwise go to school with. Um, and so it was kind of fun. But when I, when I started there, they were, they were on the verge of collapse. I mean, they, they brought in a, I mean, that's probably the only reason they would bring in a kid who, who didn't know anything, what he was doing uh, to, to be their coach uh, because they just didn't have any, they didn't know what else to do. They were, they were struggling so, so bad. Um, and so, so, uh, so I was tasked with trying to, to put it back together in some sense, um, and, and try to build something stronger for the future. And it was a, it was an uphill climb for, for five years to try to get the club in a, a more secure place. Um, but I, I'm, I'm proud to say myself and, and the, and the coaches I worked with and the board of trustees, they, we worked together to, to, to build it back up and, and create a pretty strong program that now is one of the better clubs in the state that I'm very proud of it. It really came down to the kids and, and the coaches I worked with. They were they we all got dedicated to the idea of building a pretty strong program, uh, and I think that that kind of won the day. Obviously, there's plenty of places in Florida to row, but it's not necessarily a thing that you can do off the coast. It's an inland an inland thing where you've got to have a river, a tributary, or a lake to row on. So I assume y'all were probably on 
a branch of the St. Johns River or, or an inland waterway? Yeah, absolutely. So you, the rowing shells themselves are, are built for speed. They're not built for comfort. So they we need we need uh, calm water. We need flat water, and, and typically we don't need it very we don't want it very wide, but we do need it very long. So because uh, our race courses are a little over a mile long, so so we're looking so rowing out on the ocean. Although it is a growing part of our sport, it's it's not the same as as rowing. It's the, the, the traditional version of our sport. So so for us. Um, there at Space Coast, we rode on the Banana River, which is which is a tributary to the to the Saint John, uh, excuse me, to the uh, Indian River, uh, the intercoastal. Uh, it's also um, it's on the very southern tip of Merritt Island, which is the island that that Cape Kennedy, uh, uh, the, excuse me, that um, NASA sits on. So right. it's, it's a very historic place in terms of of the space program and and U.S. Uh, Cold War stuff. So a lot of a lot of neat history there. And as, a, as somebody who was a history major in college, I really enjoyed learning about that part. So educate me here. Rowing, crew, what's the difference? I mean, what what are, what are the identities? Because when the sport first started emerging, it was crew. Yeah, a lot of people ask that. So so the best way to try to ex- describe it is is crew is, is – um, Crew is describing the the group that are doing it. So the athletes and and what the the crew the boat that they're in, they're, that's called a crew. And then rowing is the actual action itself, the the sport itself. So instead of pl- saying we play row we play crew or we play rowing, we just say rowing. Uh, and and then when we're talking about the group of people that we're with, we're talking about our crew. And the sport itself is widely different because you have different boat sizes, different. So, I mean, you have individual, you have two man, you have four man, you have eight man. And so you have that individual drive for an individual person, but you've also got to be able to work within that team framework. Right. So a lot like track where you have different events and, and you can do relays, or you can do individual events, but in rowing, it's even more diverse than that. We have two man, four man and eight man boats. We also have singles, but that's singles are very, very uncommon in collegiate rowing. Uh, that's more for if you watch the Olympics, you'll see single rowers uh, and a lot of high school programs will see single rowers. Uh, and then a lot of the adult rowing programs around the country will do singles. But at the, at the collegiate level, it's, it's mostly fours and eights with eights being the, the kind of the primary boat. So what is it about the sport you see that is making it grow? You said it's growing really fast in the Midwest, but what's driving the growth of the sport? Up until recently, rowing was the fastest growing sport in the, in the country. And I, and I think, that and lacrosse and i think that uh the major reason is that uh you know the the growth of clubs and and um the increasing economics of rowing um it used to be a, you know an elite sport and and i think through many different ways it is it is becoming more and more accessible to people uh, at all different levels um and i think that helps a lot so it's it's more cost effective and, and with club programs being more and more popular it's know kind of the economy of scale you the bigger the club the more affordable it is for each individual to do the sport um but then also uh, at the same time i think you know i saw a very similar uh, kind of this this tangent uh, trend going on in our country where, where people were talking about the prevalence of concussions and how bad they were for athletes and simultaneously people started seeing that rowing was one of those sports where there was no no such thing as concussions. It's not a contact sport. There's, it's a very low impact sport in general. It's not like running. Uh, there's essentially, it's, it's right up there with swimming in terms of, of um, just really, really not that hard on the body in terms of your joints. 
Um, and so it's just a very healthy sport. It's, it's, you know, many physiologists have, have come out and said that rowing is probably the best exercise for your body, um, outside of any other, any other exercise out there. So I, it's one of those things where I just think a lot of different things came together at once and people started seeing rowing as this, this alternative to the more traditional sports like soccer and, and, um, and some, and baseball and, and football and basketball. Uh, and, and it is a relatively easy sport to get into as well. Once you find your, your local club or your high school program, or your adult rowing program, then it's, you know, it, it takes a matter of about a week to kind of figure out the sport. And then after that, it's, it's, um, it's just trying to perfect it. Uh, so the kind of the rule of thumb in rowing is, or the, the popular saying in rowing is, is it takes about a month to learn rowing and about a lifetime to try to master it. So one of the things that I, I see in the sport is, you see the kids and the work they have to put in to prepare themselves and the work they do on the erg machines. And they're, they're spending a tremendous amount of time on their own getting on those machines and perfecting, not only getting the cardio and the, and the work in they need to do to be physically able to do it at a high level, but also to perfect their, their uh, mechanics of what they're doing yeah. before they get on the water. Probably spend, I would guess, two to three times as much time doing that as they do actually in the boat. Uh, you, yeah, yeah, it's actually probably you're probably right about that. Actually, we, we probably spend about two thirds of our total time not in the boat and doing other things. So we we spend an enormous amount of time uh, training outside the outside the boat, uh, trying to get our bodies ready. It's it's not like you know I always tried to explain it when I was at Space Coast and I was talking to parents who've never seen anything about the sport. I, I always say you can break down sports on kind of a continuum. At one extreme end, there's there's the purely skill sports, and then on the other extreme end, there's the purely um, 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 physical sports that require very little skill, but are very challenging. And I think rowing, uh, you know, maybe tennis is somewhere right in the very middle. And, and I think rowing is probably just, just off to one end of that, where it, it takes more, it's not a, that hard of a sport in terms of, um, skill, but it takes an enormous amount of physical effort, uh, to do it. And so, uh, we, sp and because of that, you know, it, it takes an enormous amount of time to, to, transform your body to be able to do it. Um, and so that's why we spend so much of our time just conditioning and training. Uh, but then on top of that, you know, the skill that's involved is the fact that you have to do everything perfectly in sync with, with your crew, of, with the, with the, the athletes around you. Uh, there is no such thing as, as an individual in our sport. Uh, you know, it, it just doesn't work that way. So if, if, if one guy or one, one athlete is just, just ever so slightly off, it can completely destroy the race. And when you're talking about a race that, you know, by and large, uh, our races will take, you know, in the eight man shells, it can take a little under six minutes or, or five and a half to six minutes for men's rowing to get down to a 2000 meter course. And, and usually the races will come down to a second or two or even less than that. Um, so for example, last year, when we took our, our varsity four to the national championship, they qualified to make the grand finals by I'm going to get the number wrong, but I, I believe it was 0.4 seconds was the difference between wow. them being in the grand final and them not being in the grand final last year. So that's a blink of an eye. Yeah. I mean, for a, for a six minute race to come down to half a second, that's, that's a pretty intense. So th everything has to be so precise in our sport with the way they move their body and the mechanics. Um, so not only are they having to physically train uh, to be fit and very, very strong, um, but they have to do it in perfect synchrony with the guys around them. So it, it just takes an enormous amount of work and effort to get to that level. Um, and that's kind of the fun of it. You know, it's, it's so challenging that when you get it right, it's so rewarding. 
Love Stetson Athletics? Then join the team behind the team. Donate to the Hatter Athletic Fund to help keep your Stetson Hatters at the top of elite competition. If you're interested in donating to provide opportunities for Stetson student-athletes, log on to GoHatters.com and click on the Hatter Athletic Fund link in the Support the Hatters tab. How much of that work on timing is done in the er- on the erg machines and how much of that has to be done in the boat? Most of it has to be done in the boat. Um, it's very, very, it's, you just don't get the same out of, out of doing it on the erg. Um, the ergometer is the machine we use on land uh, to, to, to practice the rowing stroke, but the ergometer is not a rowing machine. It's, it's a, you know, ergometer is broken down. The word means uh, work measure. So it's, it's a measuring device to see their, um, their strength and their fitness, but it, it mimics the rowing stroke, but it's, it's not the same as the rowing stroke. And so, we try, we have to use that machine quite a bit now, but, um, because of just the nature of where rowing is going, but, but it is not the same as being on the water. So we spend a a huge amount of our time out on the water, uh, trying to get, trying to get that, that connection and that, that, um, that, that rhythm together. And you mentioned pairs, fours and eights. I assume the pairs are just the two, the fours and eights, they've got a coxswain, right? Yes. And how does, that person, I mean, obviously they're incredibly important to any success of that team because they're dictating the cadence. Yeah. So, so the coxswain is, is the one who steers and the coxswain comes from the, the nautical word for the person who steers the boat and, and sailing, you know, the coxswain was always the one who had their hand on the rudder. Um, and so it's the same in rowing. Um, so th- they also give commands through an internal speaker system within the boats. And so they're, they're kind of like, um, they're the, it's been best described as kind of the jockey of rowing. Uh, they're not actually powering the boat, but they are riding it down the course, making it sure it goes straight and executing a race plan. Uh, and they use their voice and their commands to try to uh, bring the most out of their rower. So it, it is, it is, in my opinion, I think it is the most important position in rowing because even though they're not directly impacting the boat, they can, they have more of an ability to impact the race than probably anybody in terms of just doing their job appropriately. Uh, and so that we spend a good amount of time with them, but most of their practice is just doing it. Uh, and then what we spend a lot of time with them off the water on is just learning how to lead, learning how to communicate with their team and learning how to command uh, a room. And I think that's, that takes a lot. It takes, it takes a lot of effort at a, to, to put a, a kid in a, in a seat like that. And they're steering a boat that's going down a course, a boat that's very expensive and full of athletes that are working really hard and, and to get them to command their peers that way without question uh, and be kind of dictatorial in a way is it's, it's, it's actually more challenging than you think. You think most people want that power, but most people don't want that power. Trying to get somebody to sit in that seat and do that job well is, is pretty challenging. I'm guessing the, the ideal too is you don't want, you want to, like you said, a jockey, you want a small person in there that's not going to add a lot of additional weight to the boat. Yeah, because they're not directly powering the boat. They, they don't have any role in, in physically moving the shell. Uh, they need to be as light as possible because we have to carry their weight. So we want them very, very light. So you spend, I guess, what, five years at the Space Coast before uh, you get to call to Stetson and talk about that transition from uh, club coaching to, to coaching a program in college. So I've always been very motivated to be the very best I could be at anything that I attempt to do. And, and so rowing was never any exception to that. And the fact that I couldn't uh, feel like I never really got it right as an athlete, it just motivates me all the more as a coach to try to help somebody else get it right. Um, 
And so my fifth year at, at Space Coast, we, we had arguably one of our best years ever, uh, capped by uh, one of our crews going to the national championship and, and finishing third in the country, um, which was which is a huge accomplishment for those guys and, and uh, for the program as a whole. And when I got home, I realized that there probably wasn't much else we could do as a club uh, in terms of high performance. Uh, and, I, and I felt like I had really pushed the club to the limit of what it was willing to, what the members were willing to tolerate in terms of the parents and their commitment and the, and the board and what they were willing to do. So I decided it was probably time to, to look for the next option. Uh, and that summer the Stetson uh, position opened up. And so I applied thinking, you know, let's give it a shot. Let's see if I can make the jump to the collegiate level, which is, which is a hard jump to make for coaches. Uh, collegiate coaches are, you know, when, when head coaches go out and find their next assistant, they don't typically go with, with high school coaches. So uh, I was very, very fortunate to have uh, Coach K to give me a shot. And uh, so when I when I moved to DeLand, it wasn't that far of a move. It's only about 90 miles from Brevard County, but it was a world of difference in terms of um, the athletes and the experience. And, you know, instead of running a club, now I'm I'm an assistant coach kind of uh, being told what to do and and, uh, and and having to fit within a more strict system. Uh, and so it was, it was a very challenging transition, but um, – I was very fortunate to have a very patient head coach and coach Katie. She gave me an opportunity, not just to start there, but then kept giving me opportunities to get it right. Um, which I'm very, very lucky to have. Um, and then also just have a really strong team that year. They, they weren't crazy, uh, athletic, uh, but they really, really wanted to be successful and they worked really hard. Uh, and they were led by two captains that we were very, very proud of, uh, and continue to be very proud of, um, that really pulled that, that team through that, tough transition year for us. Not only did they get new an entirely new coaching staff that year, but the team also had to move out of their old boathouse, uh, move all of our equipment into a temporary structure while they built our Sanders sets in aquatic center. Uh, that fall hurricane Irma hit and our lake flooded. Uh, and so we were walking shin deep in water just to get our boats uh, launched. Uh, it was, it was a challenging year. I don't think I've ever had quite as a challenging of a year as we had that year with, with so much changing so fast uh, the kids really, uh, I give them a lot of credit. They didn't push back as hard as I, as I probably would have, if I was them. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a really tough year for me, but, uh, it was well worth it. So you mentioned coach Katie Thurston, who's the, who's the head coach for the women, for, for both programs, men and the women's program mm-hmm. and two assistants, you and Stephen Harris, do y'all divide up and Stephen works mostly with the women and you work mostly with the men and Katie kind of oversees both. Correct. The, the men's team is about a third the size of the women's teams in terms of numbers. And so, you know, one third of the coaches go with the men, two thirds go with the women. Um, so coach Katie and coach Steve primarily work with the women's team. And then I have, uh, you know, obviously a good deal of experience with men's rowing. So coach Katie has allowed me to kind of, um, lead with the men's program. And, and I've been very, um, fortunate to have a lot more of a role in the men's pro leading the men's program than most assistant coaches would probably have in any team that they work with. Um, so yeah, she, she does work with the men. She does oversee the men's program, but by and large, uh, I, I'm, I'm there doing the day-to-day stuff. Fans, when it comes to air conditioning in Florida, you need a name you can trust. That's why you should turn to the experts at Total Comfort for all your advanced heating, air, and electric needs. Total Comfort, a strong supporter of the Stetson Hatters and a company you can rely on. So with the with the men's program, people may not realize that men's rowing is not a sanctioned NCAA sport. It's mm-hmm. a... A lot of, some schools, I'm sure, could treat it as a club sport, but it's outside the. There's not an NCAA championship for men's rowing like there is for women's rowing. So how does that? Correct. 
how does that make it more of a challenge for you to to grow the sport at, at a college level? It is it is a challenge. Um, I find it is more of a challenge within athletic departments than it is outside of athletic departments. Um, and by that, I mean, I, I think, you know, men's rowing predates any other athletic event or any other sport in, in colleges. So the very first intercollegiate uh, competition, sporting competition was uh, the Harvard Yale crew race, the rowing race um, in New Hampshire. So they uh, they found a lake in New Hampshire and went up and, and raced each other. And that was the very first time two college sports programs had ever competed in anything together. Um, and and ever and in college sports kind of grew out of that in general. Uh, and so when it came time to develop and, and start the NCAA back in the 50s and 60s, men's rowing kind of felt like they had a um, they had a head start on it. And they they thought they had a pretty good organization put in place and they didn't see the point in getting involved in this, this startup, you know, governing body. Uh, and that was probably a pretty big mistake on their part because now the NCAA runs all of college sports. Um, right. But we are like, um, uh, I believe rugby, uh, we're not, we're not organized underneath the NCAA umbrella. So when we, when I'm working within the athletic department, it's, it's, I sometimes have to kind of remind myself and the people that I work with that, that we don't follow necessarily all the same rules that all the other sports do. We, we have rules. It's not like it's the Wild West in men's rowing. We have a lot of strict rules, uh, and most of them mirror the, the NCAA, but some of them are a little different. In fact, by and large, men's rowing is more regulated or, or more strict, I should say, in the rules than the NCAA. Um, so like our recruiting rules, for example, are much, much more strict in terms of what we're allowed to say and when we're allowed to say it than the NCAA. Um, so that's, that's generally the harder part is trying to um, – you know, he's trying to work in a department where everyone is under the same rules. And then you kind of have to remind them that there's that one outlier men's rowing out there who have slightly stricter rules in most cases. Um, but then when it comes to like recruiting itself, like, you know, most male athletes at high school understand that men's rowing is, is not in the same system as the NCAA. And so they, they're okay with, you know, when I go to them and say, this is, this is, this is the rule in our sport. It's not necessarily the same on the women's side. They get that. They understand that. So you wind up having to be your own compliance officer as well as the coach. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I every year I have to I, have to, I review the the new rulings that come out. So you know, right now with with this pandemic, a lot of a lot of rules coming down from the NCAA on how things are going to change. Um, that has to get processed, and then the and then our our governing body, the Intercollegiate Rowing Association, has to decide if that's going to apply to us or not. And so I have to keep up on that. It's 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 uh, it's, it's it's easier for me to do my best to try to help our compliance department by understanding it. Cause it's, it's just, it's just men's rowing. So it's, you know, they're not going to spend an enormous amount of time trying to understand two different rule systems. So it's easier for me to read the rules and try to understand it and then help them to try to enforce it. But, you know, just like, just like the, all the other sports on campus, we have our own reporting um, officers. We have to report to different governing body, but it is still a report and we get sanctions and different things. So we, we have to be cautious of that. So, so yeah, I have to keep, track of the rules and make sure I'm following all the guidelines. Has there been, or do you expect there to be any kind of movement to move men's rowing into an NCAA sport? I think my sense was that was a big conversation in the early two thousands when I was first getting into rowing and it, and it continued to kind of bubble below the surface a little bit of whether or not this was worth doing for men's rowing to finally get involved in the NCAA. I don't think the NCAA was, too excited to bring in men's rowing because there were so many unique rules in our sport that didn't fit perfectly or neatly inside the NCAA rulebook. 
Uh, I think that has by and large, um, that has come to a moot point, I think a little bit, or at least temporarily with, with things, you know, being what they are right now and the NCAA struggling financially, I think men's rowing being separate has actually been a benefit to us in some ways, because we're not, we're not beholden to, um, at least our governing body's not beholden to those, um, to those revenue generators. So, uh, that allows us to be a little bit outside of, of this a little bit, but it also puts us more liable. I mean, when ADs are looking to, um, you know, when ADs across the country decide, Hey, we got to start cutting down on our budget. It's, it's easy to look at men's rowing as a sport. That's not a, an NCAA sport and say, well, this is easy to, to, this is an easier decision to make. And, and we're very fortunate at Stetson Avenue AD who's very supportive of men's rowing. So, um, I don't think that's going to be us. And, but I, I definitely think that it's, it's, there's good and bad to it. But I, I think to answer your question, I, I do think that was a conversation that's, that's been going on for decades now. And I, and I think it's probably going to get put on the back burner for a while until things get sorted out. But I, I, I'm sure we'll come back to it. And probably in my lifetime, it'll be uh, an, another one of those votes that they take to decide if it's something they want to do. And, and I'm sure every year they, every time they do it, it gets a little, a little closer to being uh, implemented. So I'm sure at some point, I wouldn't be shocked if NCAA and, um, begin sponsoring men's rowing soon. So one question you brought, bring up is you have two separate teams, but a lot of times you're competing in the same events. One's an NCAA, one's not an NCAA, but uh, do the men and the women, do they have different boats that they use or do they can they use the share the same boats at an event or how does that work? So, so they can, like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not impossible. The boat is more or less the same, except for um, the boats are built size specific um, because you know we want the very smallest shell we can get um, because of weight um, consideration so um, so women's shells tend to be a little smaller because on average women tend to be a little smaller so um, so we can use the same shells but but generally speaking when it comes to like our race equipment we tend to have different equipment um, just because the men's equipment tends to be a little bit bigger uh, geared for a little bit bigger athlete, bigger, slightly stronger athlete. That, I mean, that's not universal. That's not a hundred percent, but, um, but generally, yeah, that is, that is the case. So yeah, when we go to races, sometimes we'll go together to races and we'll share the same equipment trailer. We'll, we'll bring our equipment in and we'll share some equipment, but, but the men and the women's programs here at Stetson have two different shells and, and two different sets of shells. And, and we go to, and, and, if we're warned for this pandemic and the, and the budget cuts that, that, that people are going through across the country, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some consolidation for, for everybody. Um, and I know that, that, you know, rowing is no different. So I think men's and women's rowing will continue to be uh, done in, in uh, tangent. Uh, but there is more and more, there's more, um, it's, it's ever growing that there are women's events and men's events, and they're becoming more and more separate as, as the programs uh, continue to develop. And that's going to be more of a challenge because not only do you have to carry separate sets of equipment, but then you've got to, you know, have separate code issues. And if, if somebody gets hurt, you got to have somebody there to take care of them. And it's a whole different thing. And if you're all on one site, obviously you, you can take care of that. One of the things, you know, talked about is the events and some of the events obviously have the number of events you've had at home have grown exponentially since the development of the Saunders Stetson Aquatic Center. What has that facility meant as far as what the men's and women's rowing programs have, have done? And what do you think it's going to mean over the, over the long term? 
Uh, that's that's a good question. So we are unbelievably uh, lucky, and we try to keep that in mind as much as we can every day uh, to have the Sandersets and Aquatics Center because it is it is very un uh, uncommon for rowing programs to have such an enormous and and um, state of the art facility like we have. Most programs out there either have a, a, a you know, if they have a, a big boathouse, it's usually because some alumni group built it in 1900, 1920. Rowing is an extremely old sport. Um, so these, these boathouses across the country, a lot of times are very, very old. And the new ones that are being built tend to be kind of barns on the side of a lake or on the side of a river. They're, they're not well, uh, well developed. I mean, there's certainly a lot of exceptions to that, but but I, I see so many boathouses as, as, as more or less just storage sheds. Um, and we're fortunate to have a, a full facility on multiple acres out on Lake Beresford that are all our own. And I, I think that's, we're very lucky to have that. And I think that that speaks a lot to, to the, where the school sees our sport in, in the grand scheme of things at the university. They, they see this as, as an opportunity to, to step, step apart from a lot of the other Florida schools um, because there is not a ton of rowing in Florida at the collegiate level. Um, to kind of compete with some of the bigger programs like UCF or University of Miami in terms of facilities. Um, but also it gives us a home. It gives these kids a place where they feel like it's theirs. Um, you know, every, every college student wants to come to college and they, they enjoy the campus, but eventually, you know, somewhere during the freshman, maybe even as late as the sophomore year, almost every collegiate athlete does, or, or student, I should say, kind of comes to this realization that they need to find a place that's theirs within the community at, at the university. Uh, so some of them get involved in Greek life. Some of them get involved in extracurricular clubs uh, for athletes. It's, it's generally they're looking for a place where they can hang out uh, apart from the other student body. And, and so our boathouse gives us that kind of permanent home out there on the lake that's ours. And, and we take a great pride in taking care of it um, and keeping it clean and keeping it up in top tip, tip top shape. Um, and then going forward, it's going to continue to bring more and more attention to the university because uh, it is it is is it is very uh, pay, very much a, a paving the way for other universities in terms of, of how to invest in in sports because it is a building that we share with academics so it is partly a boathouse and partly an academic building uh, and so that's kind of neat to have this relationship with our students who they might go to practice shower and then walk upstairs and do a lab with our environmental studies program all at the same place and that's kind of neat uh, for them to to have that 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 overlap. Um, and then when we're recruiting and we're going on the, on the road, you know, rowing is always one of those sports that because it is less known and, and kind of out on the fringe a little bit in most departments, you know, athletes, rowers are always trying to figure out like, what does rowing mean to this university? Are they really going to take this sport seriously or are they not? And when they walk into our facility, a multi-million dollar facility like the Sandra Stetson Aquatic Center, it's, it's pretty obvious what, what rowing means to the university. And I think that that gives us a lot of opportunities when we're out on the recruiting trail to show that, that this this sport is is really important to you know to the Stetson. Show your Stetson spirit and get your green on with officially licensed tees, sweats, hoodies, and more. Go to www.shopgohatters.com. All your hatters gear is just a click away. Visit www.shopgohatters.com today. And not only does this facility mean a lot to the to the program, but it's it's helping attract more attention university wide because you see all these prep schools and Olympic teams and all these different groups that are in the north and where they can't practice all year. And you've got this incredible facility, not only the building itself and the grounds, 
but you've got this incredible body of water that is a protected watershed more or less that is very calm water it's perfect for rowing on so people are coming in all the time wanting to wanting to practice yeah i mean admittedly i'm very biased but i i, I strongly believe that that the water we row on is is some of the very best in the country for rowing uh, and it is kind of a, a a best kept secret, as you pointed out, because it, it is a protected watershed. And so there's not a lot of development on the lake. So it's 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 not something that pops up on people's browsers when they go looking for a great place to go row. Um, and so the aquatic center being built on the side of this beautiful lake, this, this ideal water for rowing uh, has really attracted uh, more attention to our, our, our site. And um, we do see an enormous amount of teams, both at the high school and at the collegiate level who come down in the wintertime to train on our, on our lake, um, and, and compete. And, and even, and it kind of is, uh, complementary to, uh, a, a facility that's been built down in Sarasota, uh, a world-class facility for rowing and canoe and kayak and triathlons, uh, in Sarasota, Nathan Benderson park. So in 2017, that hosted the rowing world championships there. Uh, and that year, the Australian national team came and rode on our lake to prepare and acclimate to the weather and prepare for the world championships. So we got to interact with them quite a bit. Um, last year, uh, excuse me, two years ago, the NCAA ch national championships were held in that same site down in Sarasota. And so a lot of teams from across the country came to Lake Beresford to acclimate to the weather, to prepare for the national championship. And so we are becoming uh, a site where people want to be to row. And so when when we're talking to these you know the lucky part for us is they come and train here for a week maybe two we're here year round so this ideal facility that everyone's spending a lot of money to come you know get on a plane and drive south and get to this is where we live this is what we get to do every day so we're, we're very very fortunate in that regard what kind of impact you're seeing on those prep schools and high schools and coming in are you seeing on recruiting yeah so i actually i had the opportunity to work with some of these prep schools uh outside of rowing and other capacities. And, and I can say that, you know, when a kid goes to one of these New England prep schools, you know, obviously there's always exceptions, but by and large, most of them are thinking about going to an Ivy League school or staying in the New England area. Uh, and they never even consider the idea of, of leaving New England, if, especially if they wanted to row, because New England is, a, is, a, is kind of the, the heart of rowing. Um, and so now suddenly they're coming down to our, our lake and our boathouse to train in the wintertime for their winter training uh, break. Uh, and they're getting this kind of look of like, hmm, there's some pretty good rowing outside of New England that I never really thought to look at. Uh, and so we're seeing more and more every year, you know, an increasing amount of kids uh, from New England who are taking a look at Stetson who might not have ever looked outside the New England area for, for rowing. Um, and, and we're not the only collegiate team in, in the South, um, but certainly because of these teams coming to us, I think they're reaching out to us first. So I, I, right now, a lot of our team are from the Southeast, but I'm, I'm very confident in the next three or four years that that's going to change very dramatically. Well, it's got to be a huge benefit because take the Charles river in Boston, for example, it's, you know, it's too dang cold to get out there on the water for four months and four or five months a year. So you don't have to worry about that here. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the Boston people, these Boston people are crazy. They'll go out there in February where it's 20 degrees and, and they'll give it a shot. As long as the water's flat, they'll row out there. And I, I, I always tell kids like, you can do that, but you don't have to down here in Florida. Like, <laughs> yeah. Degrees in February. We, we're not dealing with that kind of stuff. So the big events in rowing, I guess, for collegiate rowing in this state are the FIRA championships, 
the SIRA championships, and then uh, for men, or men the Dad Vale, and then your IRA championships. So talk about those events and the kind of competition you see in those different events. Sure. So so the FIRA championship is a, is has always been, at least the history that as I understand, it's always been kind of getting the club and varsity sports together to compete against each other, more or less for bragging rights. I mean, everything in rowing is about bragging rights. So um, so kind of giving an opportunity for bragging rights. And, and by and large, the club programs have held their own. Um, you know, they don't traditionally win a ton, but they do win enough that it makes it worthwhile for them. And it's always fun for a club team to go and, and race a varsity team and try to beat them. And, and sometimes they do, and that's that's good for them. Um, so FIRA has always been that. Uh, FIRA has admittedly kind of struggled over the last couple of years because of, of um, money. This you know, As more and more people get involved in rowing, people see the opportunity to make money off the sport for the first sure. time. And so the costs are going up to host races um, and, you know, along with that are liabilities and stuff. Um, so Fira has struggled a little bit, but, um, but then for the men, especially uh, going on to the Southern intercollegiate championships or SIRA um, as we call it, um, that's our qualifier for our national championship. So that's, that's kind of seen it. We don't have conferences in men's rowing, but if we had one, that would probably be, if we had an analog, that would probably be the closest to it um, is for us. And, and again, clubs can participate, but that really is, uh, from our perspective, that is our, our ability to get to the national championship. And then the Dadville champion, the Dadville regatta, excuse me, in Philadelphia is um, people always, um, you know, I, I came from Marietta, which is a very big, uh, Dadville is a huge race for that, uh, that school and that program because uh, they helped to create that regatta back in the 1930s. So that, that is one of those regattas that has grown into something really monstrous. Uh, it is the largest collegiate regatta in, in, the, in the world uh, every year. And, and that is more or less just because um, it's old, you know, it, and yeah. so many things in rowing are that way. They're, they're prestigious because people have been doing it for decades. Uh, and Dadville's was one of those examples. There's no real championship involved with the Dadville. It's just because it is the largest collegiate event in the world to win it. You know, there's a lot of bragging rights in that. And sure. so that, that is, um, that is typically why we go is because we're going to see a lot of competition um, from a lot of schools from around the world, uh, excuse me, from around the country, at least. Um, and every once in a while, a Canadian team will come down and race in that event as well. So, uh, so we race there. Um, and then as of late, uh, our goal has been shifting to um, what we call the IRA, which uh, is intercollegiate rung association. Uh, that is our national championship for men. Uh, and we joined that uh, two years ago raced for the very first time this time last year. Um, and so that is, that is increasingly becoming our uh, focus as a, as a varsity D1 team. And that IRA championship, I believe, is held in the same location as the Women's Conference Championship, correct? It, it moves around. It, it tends to be a lot on the East Coast because that's where the majority of teams are uh, in, in, in rowing. But, but there's some very, very, very strong and historic teams out West. So it does move around. Like last year, it was in California. Um, but it, it will be in the next three years. It'll it'll remain in the East Coast. Uh, and yes, it is. It is held on the same uh, waterway as as where our women compete um, for their conference championship, or it has in the past, I should say. Um, there's not a, an enormous amount of water that's ideal for hosting such championships as you can probably imagine. So, rowers tend to go back to the same bodies of water over and over. Morningstar Storage is a proud supporter of Stetson University Athletics. 
Morningstar offers the space you need the way you want it, made easy with 24-7 access, a free rental truck, Bluetooth locks, month-to-month leasing, and much more. Stop by Morningstar Storage right behind the Chick-fil-A or visit MorningstarDeland.com for two months free storage when you mention Stetson. So for people who have not been out and seen a rowing competition, explain what happens at a rowing event. I mean, how is it for spectators, especially at our place? Yeah, so so we show up, we have to bring all of our own equipment, um, which, you know, when you're talking about a 60 foot long rowing boat, that's not easy to do. So so we have an, uh, an equipment trailer, we have to put everything on it. So it's basically our moving, our mobile boathouse. Uh, we go to wherever the races are. Um, we unload everything, we rig everything up, we get everything prepared to race. Um, we'll put the boat in the water and we'll jump in and we'll row up to the starting line, which again in the springtime is, is a 2000 meter race. So you're talking about a mile and a quarter ish, uh, in distance. So, so they, they will row and easily, easily row about two miles on race day, just, just to get up and then race back down the total distance. So it's, it's not a small scale. It's, it's a pretty large scale event. Um, they typically will line up crews, uh, either six or seven across if there's enough crews. Um, they typically don't do much more than that because it gets a little unwieldy um, because the boats have to be a certain distance of, uh, separated so they don't hit each other. The equipment is fragile and expensive. They don't want damage um, and it's also unsafe. So, so it gets pretty unwieldy when you get beyond six or seven crews. But a lot of times, especially when you're not at the championships, there'll be just, you know, one team will host another team to come and race them or, or a couple teams will get together and race each other. So the races will be a little smaller in scale, but, but it's always the same. They line up side by side. Um, they make sure the boats are aligned in, in perfect uh, order. And, and then they, they send them down the race from a starting stop. Uh, they take off and, and sprint down the course as fast as they can. Like I said, the races for men's rowing, it, it should be, you know, five minutes and 50 seconds, maybe a little faster than that is a good race time um, for, at our level. Uh, and then on the women's side, we're talking about less than seven minutes to get down the course. Uh, so it is, it is a relatively long race for how much effort they're putting. I mean, they're, they're at sprint speed the whole way down the course. Um, so it's very similar to, um, you know, if you go out and try to do a full out sprint, you're probably going to go about 40 yards. Um, now do that for seven minutes straight uh, and you get a sense of how hard our sport is. Um, uh, and then it's, it's really simple. Like they start together and the first boat across the finish line wins. There's no, there's not a lot of exceptions. There's no handicaps. There's no special considerations made. It's, it's, it's literally the first boat to get to the finish line wins. So it's, and, the, and that simplicity is, is kind of artful in a way. And I, that's one of the things I love about it. And for fans, it's a it's a different environment because you you can't necessarily see the whole thing. But families go out and make a day of it. They picnic and on the ground and grill and all the things that you, you think about. It, it's a tailgate with boats whirring by very quickly, and you get a glimpse, and then it's, and then they're gone. Yeah, so it's like we get the tailgating part of football without the game. So it's it's you get a very quick second where you get to see some boats pass you, and and it's usually pretty competitive. Like I said, they're usually lined up side by side, even at the finish line. So um, the, the difference between crews can be quite tight. Um, but generally, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's mostly a picnic. I mean, it's, it's kind of a neat way to get out of the house and go hang out and, and relax. And, and, you know, and I think rowing in some ways is a little out of place because of that in our current world. I think we're used to a lot of action. I think that's why rowing is not as popular as some other sports because we're used to action. We're used to things happening right in front of us nonstop for an hour and a half, two hours. 
Uh, and rowing, it, it happens right in front of you for about 15, 20 seconds. And then in between all that, uh, there's just a lot of lounging around and enjoying the weather. It's usually pretty nice out because we race in the springtime. So um, it's a good place to be. So back in the um, at the turn of the century when rowing was at its peak, in terms of popularity in the United States, there were more people going to rowing events than there were going to the World Series um, because it because it, it it was an opportunity for people to leave the city and go out into along the waterway and they'd get picnics and they'd make a day of it and they'd they'd hang out and you know there'd be a, a kind of a build up because they usually back then they would race a lot in the evenings as the water calmed down and and you know all the the barges and stuff from all the industry industry uh, passed and everything calmed down and then they would race at the end of the day right in the last daylight hours uh, and so people would make a full day of it and and kind of the way we spend a day at the beach they'd spend a day out at the park. Uh, waiting on the rowing events to come down, and then once the races race, then everyone went home. And it's, it's it is an, it is unique to most other sports. I can I can believe that. So let's go back and talk about. Uh, I got I have a few questions that are kind of reveal personality and about your history. So who were your role models sure. growing up, and and why were why do you think they impacted your life? My parents were always. I think every kid looks at their parents as role models. I I, I certainly was that way. I, and both my parents worked very hard and were very selfless people. And I, I think I always try to emulate that now as an adult, try to try to keep others ahead of myself. Um, my high school rowing coach was was probably one of the most important people uh, in my my uh, teenage years. He, he was an older gentleman and, and who didn't have a, an enormous amount of, of pedigree in rowing, but he, he loved the sport and he loved to teach it. And he was pretty good at teaching it. Um, and he was a very non, no nonsense kind of Midwest guy. Like he wasn't a lot of flash. He just showed up and he, he did his job and he, he taught us the best way he could. And, and I really, I really love that about him. Uh, and, and he treated us like human beings, which I think sounds weird, but when you're talking about a teenage kid who's used to, you know, saying yes, sir, no, sir, to people. And then suddenly you got a coach who says, you know, what do you think? And that was mind blowing for me at the time. So, um, so that was really important. And then, um, you know, later on in college, my, my college coach, good, bad, or otherwise was, it was, a, was a role model for me. Um, and I got to see, you know, being a smaller school, I got to see a lot of him outside the, the rowing world and, and he really taught me a lot. So, I think, I think growing up, you know, you all have your, everyone has their heroes, especially little boys. But for me, it really was my, uh, my high school coach that, that changed my life's trajectory. I think if it weren't for him, I'd probably still be in the Midwest doing something like business or accounting. And here I am being a rowing coach. It's, it's almost all certainly because of him. You mentioned earlier, earlier, a friend who got you to go out to rowing mm -hmm. practice. You were a wrestler. Talk, do you still stay in touch with him? And what's, what's the relationship like for there? Uh, so he was older than me. So he graduated before I did and went off to college. So I, I didn't really, he, I bonded with him in the, in the way that, you know, freshmen bond with upperclassmen, you know, they looked up to him and they, they would do whatever they said they, they wanted them to do. So, so when he went off to college, we kind of lost touch a little bit. Uh, but his younger sister was my age and, and her and I were good friends because we both had a passion for rowing. Uh, and in fact, she's still coaching to this day and, and we still keep in touch as a result. But, um, and then she had a younger brother as well, uh, and he was about the age of my my younger brother. So, so our families still stay in touch somewhat. But uh, yeah, the, the guy who got me involved in rowing on it, ironically enough, we don't we don't talk that much. Uh, just the way life works sometimes. What are some of the myths about the sport that you can uh, maybe debunk a little bit? The myths. So, um, I the, probably one of the biggest one is that people think it's a it's an upper body sport. Um, 
but it is actually a full body sport. The seats that we sit on uh, have wheels, they roll. And so our legs and our hips are probably the most important muscles in our sport. Um, so most people think, oh, you, have, you must have a big upper body when you row. And, and certainly I think rowers are generally pretty well proportioned in that regard. Um, but by and large, it's, it's mostly a leg sport. That's where the majority of our power comes from is our legs. So, uh, which is not necessarily uncommon in most sports, you know, even in boxing, you know, the power comes from the legs sure. So and in baseball and football, all that. So, um, so that is one of the biggest ones. And then one of the other ones I hear a lot is, is they think the coxswains call out every stroke. Uh, and that's not true. Um, the, that would be, that would be a lot of noise in the boat if the coxswains had to yeah. call out every stroke. And, and it's, e it's actually easier to just find a rhythm and just, just get in line like a metronome than it is to try to call out every single stroke. So, so the coxswains don't call every stroke. They, they tend to help the boat stay in rhythm by using their tone and, and speaking in a pattern, but they don't, they don't call out stroke, 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 like most people think. So what are some of the resources you've used to help you get to where you are now? Uh, friends and mentors are number one, just reaching out to people that I know and who are in the sport and, and sharing ideas and, and trying to get information uh, from each other. And rowing is, is kind of, uh, it's often seen as a gentleman's sport, kind of like a country club sport in that regard that, you know, there's, a, there's a level of competitiveness uh, to it. That's pretty high as with any sport, but, um, coaches are willing to talk to each other. I mean, it, it is just about training. So there's no secrets to what we do. It's not like we have a, a secret playbook that we keep from each other. Like it's, it's all the same. We just, who's doing it the best, you know? So, so coaches are, I mean, I, I stand at regattas and talk to other coaches and other teams and we share training ideas. We share drill ideas. I mean, you know, coaches cheer each other on. Um, you know, we, if we're competing against each other, obviously like you don't want the other team to win, but if, if another team wins, you know, coaches are usually the first ones to go over and congratulate the winning coach. Uh -huh. it's, it's kind of a neat tradition in rowing. So, um, so there's a lot of peer uh, support in this sport. That's really, really fun for me. Uh, I love to, I love to talk shop. So because there is so much downtime at regattas, coaches will stand around and just chit chat about things. But um, we have a national governing body, us rowing that oversees rowing as a whole in the United States and also uh, develops our Olympic program. And they put out quite a bit of literature and information on on best practices and stuff like that. And so I use that quite a bit uh, as well. Um, and then also, you know, endurance sports are growing. Uh, cardio sports are growing by and large. And so there's more and more um, academic research being put into figuring out how our bodies work uh, in that capacity. And so there's, there's ever more increasing information on how to train and, and what to do um, for rowers that didn't really exist 20 years ago that now does. So I, I try to keep up to date on, on what's the most recent academic understanding of, of cardio endurance training. Florida Orthopedic Associates is proud to support Stetson University Athletics. Don't let pain affect your game. For sports injuries, sprains, fractures, and breaks, if it hurts, see them first at their Orange City walk-in clinic for urgent orthopedic injuries. Offices are located at Deland, Orange City, Lake Mary, and New Smyrna Beach. Florida Orthopedic Associates, state-of-the-art care, close to home. So what are some of those things that you've learned that you know now that you wish you had known when you started? <laughs> One of my favorite quotes is, is um, and I'm probably going to get it wrong here, but it's uh, if age, uh, if age knew and uh, excuse me, no, if if youth knew and age could, uh, and that's kind of the way I feel like, uh, you know, if um, 
if I knew in high school what I know now about rowing, I, I probably would have ended up a, a much different place in my life but, um, in terms of competitiveness. But, but I think one of the most important things uh, that I understand now that I probably didn't then is that there are no magic pills in our sport. There, there is no such thing as a secret formula for success. I used to think back in the day that, you know, everyone's, you know, the teams that are winning are, are doing something different than everybody else. And I realize now that it's not necessarily true. They're just doing it better than you are. Um, and then the other thing is you can always work harder. I used to think I'm, I am putting out my best effort every day at practice as a high school and collegiate athlete. And now as a coach, I realize there's always more in the tank that you can give. Um, and that goes into my, into my personal life as well. You know, when I, when I, work as a coach when I when I'm when I'm developing a team when I'm when I'm working with my athletes I always think to myself there's more I can be doing as a coach and I'm always trying to figure out what more can I be doing to help them be successful uh, and that's a lesson I had to learn the hard way as an athlete sure if you weren't a rowing coach now what do you think you'd be doing <laughs> that's a good question I think sometimes I think about that uh every once in a while like especially right now with things being chaotic it gives you a moment to kind of sit back and think like man what if you weren't rowing or involved in rowing, what would you be doing? I think I'd be a teacher. I think I'd still would be going in that path. Um, I, for a while there, I thought about being a psychologist. Um, and then I, and the older I get, the more I, I understand math. I thought I was really bad at math when I was a kid. And I realized now that I, math isn't that hard. It's not as hard as I thought it was. So I might've ended up going into like architecture or something like that as well. But I think, I think the best answer is I think for me, I love helping other people. So I think sitting at a desk all day and, and not, not getting to interact with people or not having a, a positive impact on people is that's not the way I want to do things. So I, I, I any way I can interact with people. So teaching or, or psychology were, were kind of my first loves. And I'd, I'd like to, I'd probably be doing that. As you mentioned earlier, there's a lot of downtime with uh, rowing events. So what are some of the ways that guys and, and the teams entertain themselves and what's some of the funny things you can remember from events and travels? Zoom calls are very popular right now, obviously. And we, we have group chats and stuff that we try to keep in touch with each other. So that's that's been helpful. We, we have a training plan that, that I've suggested to them that, you know, I, I'm trying to participate in as well this year. I'm still young enough where I can kind of train alongside them in some ways. So I'm trying to keep up. It's ever more difficult as I get older and older. But um so we do that for fun, but you know, some of the things we used to do on when I was on the team, I mean, because rowing has so much downtime, we work so hard and then we don't, you know, and so there's, what do you do when you're not working so hard? So I mean, pranks are always, always trying to play a prank on each other. That was always a pretty common thing. Um, talking about rowing. I mean, rowers always want to talk about rowing. So, um, that was always a thing we loved. Um, when I was in college, we, we, <laughs> We got a good kick out of, uh, I mean, as any tight knit group of guys would, we, we always had inside jokes and I probably couldn't remember half of them now, but back in the day, there was always an inside joke going, but, but a lot of my teammates in college were from um, Philadelphia, New Jersey area. And so there was always a, a constant rivalry between the Midwest guys and the, and the East coast guys. So um, there was always some sort of nonsense going on with that. So what's been the highlight so far for your time at Stetson? I mean, every year we send we we tend to do we seem to do something that nobody thought we could do, uh, and that's been pretty exciting. I I think in terms of performance, race performance, I think last year's IRA was was one of the most exciting times I've ever spent in this sport, watching those guys perform at that level. I, 
you know, before we went out there and raced, one of my friends um, kind of pulled me aside and he goes, you know, just, just to try to like, you know, cause he knows I'm very competitive. He goes, you know, just to kind of tamp down expectations a little bit, you know, like you realize that people don't make the grand finals of the national championship the first time they go. And I'm like, yeah, we'll see. And then the guys go out and, and, and make it. And I think that was pretty fun for me to watch them kind of race beyond what everyone thought they were capable of. Um, and then, you know, I think, probably one of the most fun parts about this job for me is, is recruiting and bringing in that freshman class every year. So you, you, you start talking to these guys when they're, when they're really young uh, in our sport and, and you watch them grow and develop. And then one day suddenly they're on the team and training alongside the guys that, that you have already. And that's always really fun for me to watch these guys grow up in front of me. Imageworks is your one-stop corporate identity shop. Find everything you need for your business from printing, apparel, signs, vehicle graphics, promotional products, and much more. Imageworks is a proud sponsor of the Hatters. So what single accomplishment during your career as an athlete or as a coach are you most proud of? Well, as an athlete, I we did some really neat things in college that I, I was really proud of um, in terms of our race performances. Um, I think some of the ones that stick out to me though um, come from my high school career when I, when I didn't know anything about the sport. I, I mean, I, you got to remember, like I joined this sport as a wrestler and I, I literally, I didn't even know what the boat looked like. I didn't even know what they wore on race day. I didn't know what the race distances were. I knew nothing. Right. So in three years, I went from knowing nothing about the sport to being um, fourth in the country and with my crew. I, I was I was really in, incredibly proud of, of the development we, we did um, and how far we came in such a short period of time to go from, you know, it, my very first year in the sport. I, I, the national championship that year was held near my house by uh, chance, uh, not far away. Uh, and so getting to watch it and I thought to myself, I really want to be doing that i want to race at that level whether it's high school or college or whatever just want to be one of the best you know and 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 so by my senior year we were we raced in the grand finals of the national championship and and i'll never forget how much pride that that gave me uh to know that i did that some midwest kid who knew nothing about rowing is now one of the best in the country uh at least his crew was um so that that is something i take a lot of pride in um and then similar simultaneously like I think, you know, there's been some really fun races to be a part of over the years, whether I was an athlete or, or certainly as a coach to, to stand on the shore and watch my athletes that I helped to develop um, compete at a, at a national level. I think our sport's small enough that, that we get the opportunity to compete nationally quite frequently. And, and, um, and sometimes they're successful, but most time they're not. So when they are successful, it's, it's really fun to watch. But I think what sticks out as my most proud um, accomplishments as a coach is that I hope to I'm helping to build my second team into national prominence um you know like I said what space goes we started with a club that that you know from a financial sense was on the brink of ruin uh and and five years later we tripled the size of the club we were stronger than ever my my uh successor is a full-time coach that's that shows the financial strength of the program where they can now uh, keep somebody on staff um and we finished in the you know ranked in the nation that, that took a lot of work and, and a big team effort. Um, but, but being able to lead that was, you know, and, and then most of that was luck. Honestly, I, I go back and do it over again. I don't know if I could get that lucky twice, but, um, 
but it was, it was, I was very proud of that club and, and how far we came. And then simultaneously with Stetson, you know, when I got to Stetson, most people thought we were a club team because, you know, right. we just we weren't competing at the varsity level like we should. And, and um, this, this current, this year's senior class, and that's one of the heartbreaks of this coronavirus is uh, this year's senior class, they were freshmen the year before I got to Stetson and they, they looked at the team and I said, we, we don't want to do this for four years. We want it to be better than this. So when I got here, they were already one year into this effort to do something very, very different than ever anything that had ever been done. And so in their fourth year, their senior year, we were looking to be, you know, we had just defeated um, FIT, which was the 20, you know, they were preseason 19th in the country. Um, we raced them the very first race, uh, very first weekend of March and beat them. Um, you know, nobody had ever in, you know, in the national polling, nobody had ever risen as high as we have, as fast as we have in, in history. Uh, so Stetson has done some really unprecedented things in the last two, three years uh, in men's rowing. And that is, uh, that is something I take a lot of pride in, in being a part of that uh, and helping to make that possible. Uh, certainly, I think our, our, our athletes deserve the credit for that because they're the ones doing the work and they're the ones that put out the vision. But um, but certainly that I get to, that I get to help in some ways is, is really important to me and, and something I take a lot of pride in more so than the race results, you know, more so than the race results. When, you know, when I, when I, this year watching them train with each other inside the boathouse and I thought to myself, this is not even the same team. I mean, we might as well have changed our name because we're an entirely different program than we were two years ago. And that's, that's, that's kind of fun for me. As we mentioned earlier, not an NCAA sport, how many of those kids that are seniors are thinking about coming back or is that even an option? It is, it is, it is an option as far as we know, you know, they, they, um, our school has said it is. And so, um, so some of them, I think a lot of them were so heartbroken in March when they, when they canceled our season that, you know, their initial reaction is we don't want anything to do with this anymore. We, we want to get as far away from this as we can, because, you know, the, you know it's like when you break up with your girlfriend, you, you, the last thing you want to do is go hang around your girlfriend, your ex-girlfriend. So they wanted to get as far away from rowing as they could that first couple of weeks. And I think some of them, have, have, now they miss it and they, they'd like to come back. But I think by and large, you know, rowing, rowing is a sport that teaches you hard work and, and you got to wait for the results to come in. And so these guys are taught how to plan and to prepare so by March, most of these guys already had their plan for what they were going to do after they graduated. So to say, okay, I'm going to give it one, I'm going to put that on hold for another year and go for a fifth year in rowing. That's a big ask for a lot of these guys. So I, I think, I don't think any of them are coming back as of right now. Um, we would certainly love to have them if they wanted to, but I think these guys have bigger and better things planned and I, I'm excited to see them go off and do that. So as a coach now, what motivates you? I've always, it's the same thing as when I was an athlete, to be honest. Um, I love, I love uh, to be the underdog. I love um, to do things that people say you shouldn't be able to do. I like it, winning is fun, but I, I think doing something unique is, 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 is um, even more fun for me. So what motivates me is, is I look at things that haven't been done before and I say, okay, let's go try to do that. You know, it, it, men's rowing at the collegiate level is extremely static. I say this to recruits all the time. You know, if you look back over the last 10 years of the national championship, you're going to see the same six, seven, eight crews doing the same thing year after year after year. I mean, it's always the same crews winning and winning and winning. 
so to be a part of a program that is that is rising up through the ranks as fast and as aggressively as we are, it's it's unheard of. And and that's you know when I when I took over at Stetson, I said or not took over, but when I started coaching at Stetson, I said to myself, you know, men's drawing is so static. Like, is there a way we're a D one program? Like, could we compete with other D one programs and and uh, at the top level of our sport? And and so many people said that's just not possible with with how far you have to go to get there. You know, these guys are recruiting from all around the world and they're bringing in you know, future Olympians and they have history dating back centuries. And I said, there's no reason why Stetson can't do that. And so in year two to be in the, you know, fifth overall in the country, I think, um, you know, I mean, it got a lot of attention from people and that's, that's stuff that motivates me. You know, it's the same thing I told my athletes, you know, at the beginning of this past year, I said, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine what it would look like if we were top 10 in the country. But let's take a second and imagine it and, and imagine how cool that would be. I said, so, so why not just go do that? You know, like yeah. it sounds really overly simple, right? Like why not go be top 10 in the country? Cause that sounds really fun. That sounds like a really fun thing to do. So um, that's kind of what motivates me is, is the uh, same thing as when I was an athlete, like I'm not supposed to be good at rowing. I'm too short and too weak, but here I am competing and winning races. So uh, the same thing as a coach now is, is to, um, but I, I will say this to, to make it simple for you. Um, when an athlete comes back after a race and they get back to the dock, because in rowing, the coaches aren't allowed to go in the water with them. We have to stay on land. So, so we, all we can do is spectate when, once we get to races. Right. When I get to stand on the dock and watch them come back after winning a race or after doing something, you know, being successful in a race, maybe it's not winning, but they, they, they placed in an event they didn't think they could place in. The look of the look on their faces is hard to describe, and it's something that doesn't exist in the in the normal world. This this look of satisfaction and pride mixed together that's that's next level, and and that's something that it continues to motivate me year after year. Is that that ten seconds where I get to see that look on their face when they hit the dock after a really good race, that'll keep me going for another twelve months. So, um, that's 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 what gets me going. I know coaches for the most part, and educators of all kinds are voracious readers. And I see the bookshelf behind you. What are you reading right now? Who are some of your favorite authors? Um, so I am not reading any big books right now. I'm reading a lot of um, articles. I, I tend to find myself in, you know, um, reading something or other from somebody um, regarding training physiology and, and that sort of thing. I don't have a background in anything medical or anything like that. So so it takes me a little bit longer to kind of learn things when it comes to that physiology and biomechanics and stuff. So I, I spend a lot of time trying to understand that stuff. I, I'm a liberal arts person. I'm not a science person. And so I, I have to really study it to, to understand it. So I spend a lot of time doing that. Um, but some of my, my, I, I'm also a student of history. I, I, I was a history major in college and I think I love history because of the stories. So when I tend to pick up a book to read, um, I tend to pick up one that that's a biography or an autobiography, something about some sort of leader or hist somebody in history who did something really important or special. Uh, and I read through that, just trying to glean, you know, something from that about leadership or, 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 or doing something historic or it's just, and it's also just fun to read the stories. So. Who are some of the favorite, your favorite people you've read about? Uh, I've got, uh, it's, it's topical right now because there's a documentary out about it, but, um, I, I got a book many years ago, um, by Phil Jackson called 11 rings. And he talks about 
how he won each of his 11 NBA championships, uh, the six with the NBA, with the Bulls and then uh, the rest with, with everyone else. And um, that book is fascinating to me because you're talking about a coach who is not an X's and O's guys. I mean, he talks in his book at, at length about how like, you know, his scheme is not special. It's just right. his ability to manage players is just next level. Uh, and to take a group of superstars who have these huge egos and to get them to work as a team, to be selfless as a team, that's, that's, um, that's really impressive to me. So I, I love uh, that book is one of my favorites uh, to read about him. Um, <clears throat> obviously the boys in the boat, it's a, it's a popular rowing book that everyone knows about. And it's just a great story about what you can do in this sport when you really work at it. Um, and, and how the sport, and I see some of myself in that, you know, the main character bringing himself up out of poverty and, and using rowing as a way to kind of, to rise up to the next level. I, I, I sense, I think there's pieces of that uh, in me as well, uh, coming from a Midwest farming background to, to a D1 collegiate coach. So, so those are two of my favorites, but I also love to read about, uh, like I, I recently read a book about Teddy Roosevelt. I just a fascinating individual uh, with a lot of gumption um, when I, I think sometimes we miss that in our modern world. People with gumption are not always seen positively, and I, I, I respect that. That's factual. Uh, what's your most treasured childhood memory? I think I think it's it's memories. I think it's plural. Um, my dad is a is a farmer and a carpenter by trade, uh, still is to this day, and and in, in southern Ohio. And and growing up, I didn't realize this at the time. It took me until I was an adult to really truly understand this. It, he just, he never, his joy was work and his work was joy. Um, and, and I think, you know, he did, he's not somebody, I don't remember going to theme parks with him. I don't remember, you know, lounging on the beach or going to concerts. It, that wasn't his style for him. He took a great deal of enjoyment in building things. Like he built furniture and he, that was his free time. He'd go fishing sometimes, but generally it's like what he enjoyed was creating something. And I think he would often have me come along in these processes and and when he's building furniture when he's building new contraptions he loved to invent new things um a lot of times i'd be next to him watching and learning along with him learning through observation and i those are some of my best memories thinking back on it is uh you know and some of the most important for me now is is learning how to do something from scratch you know to, to look at a bunch of raw material and see something that can be made with that um and I think I have a little bit of that of having watched him do it. Uh, and I, I think I take that in my coaching, but um, I think now that's, that's one of my more favorite memories is thinking about all those times I spent with my dad as he had a vision in his head of something he wanted to build and being patient enough to let me kind of come along the process with him. Those are, those are good times. GoHatters.PhotoShelter.com is your one-stop shop for all of the most memorable moments from your favorite Stetson teams. Game day and event photos are available for purchase directly on the website. Show your Stetson pride and log on to GoHatters.PhotoShelter.com to get your photos today. Are rowers superstitious? And what are your superstitions? So I, I don't think we're as superstitious as some. I, I've heard stories of like baseball players and basketball players and tennis players especially who they all have their their stories of something they some pre-game ritual that they would do and i i think i don't know if rowers are quite to to some of those extremes but i i certainly had some of my own um, when i was a was an, when i was an athlete um i used to um when the before the races were to begin there's always a period of time where the boat is sitting 
ready to go race and it's sitting in slings just ready to be picked up and walked to the water um, and generally in those periods of time not a lot of people are congregating around the boat they're kind of scattered about so i used to spend at least a minute or two and i would just walk around the whole boat uh, while it's sitting there in slings and i try to touch it as much as possible not like you know i just run my hand down the side of the boat or something and i i would just visualize the race and i would talk to the boat as if the boat was living and try to convince it like this is what we're going to do this is how fast we're going to go this is this is what we need you to do is the boat (laughs) um it sounds silly now to me um but there's something about just like that like getting your mind wrapped around what's ahead of you um and putting this inanimate object as part of the process you know like i'm sure baseball players might look at their bat or tennis player will say something to their racket like for us rowers like I don't know, for me as an athlete, I always, I always put some sort of personality into the boat itself and, right. and tried to try to make it part of the crew. You know, there was, there was the eight of us rowers, the coxswain, and in the boat, there was 10 of us. So we, that was something I used to do. And now as a coach, I, um, I have to wear a hat. I always have to wear a hat when I'm coaching. It's, it was kind of a, a, a and then taking a, a, a metaphor and making it literal, you know, to put my coaching hat on. And I, right. when I first got into coaching, I wore a hat um, partly because it's hot in Florida and it's sunny and I'm a redhead and I burn easy, right. uh, but I got it. I started to get into the habit of when I put this specific hat on, it would like trigger my brain to be like, okay, now you got to get into coaching mode. And so to this day, I have to wear a hat when I'm coaching. If I don't have a hat on, then I don't feel like I'm on the job. Um, so when we go to races and stuff, it might be pouring rain and I still got a ball cap on because I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta have that hat on. So how do you like to spend your time away from rowing and away from work? Uh, almost a year ago now, I, I got engaged um, to uh, to a pretty special lady. So I, I spend a good deal of my time now um, planning for a wedding um, that we hope is still on. Um, so I, I find that building a family is something I've never done before. So right. we're just starting that process. So uh, um, in terms of getting ready for the wedding and then plans after that. So. Um, that's, that tends to take up most of my time right now when it comes to, um, you know, I coach, I, I plan for the next year, I, I recruit, uh, but when I'm not on the job and I'm not, when I'm not doing those things, then I, I tend to be planning for a wedding or, or planning for life after a wedding. So a lot of planning in my life right now, a lot of looking forward and, and um, being excited about what's next. So what's the date? Tell us about your fiance. Uh, so my fiance works at Rollins College, um, which you know is somewhat ironic. But we actually met at Stetson. We both work there, um, <clears throat> and she ended up getting a job at Rollins and moved down to Orlando. Uh, so we we've known each other for a couple of years now. Um, the date is in December. Um, we we picked that date. Of, funny enough, we picked that date because it, it doesn't interfere with rowing uh, course, and our season in rowing. Uh, and she's in housing, so summer times are very busy for her. So December it was. So. Um, She's uh, she's originally from Puerto Rico, and so her, a lot of her family still lives in Puerto Rico. So very, 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 very different world from my Midwest upbringing. So it's it's been fun to learn about that culture and learn about their family. And it's it's fun for me to see how different her world was growing up. But at the same time, you know, families are families in every culture, and so sure. so many of the things she has brothers and sisters like me. So they mom and dad got divorced like me, like. So many experiences are so very similar, even though the setting for those experiences were so very different. Uh, and that's kind of fascinating for me in some ways. So, um, yeah, she's she's pretty uh, she's like me. She's a planner and an organizer. So she um, and, a, and a mentor and a leader. So she 
we have very similar roles uh, in terms of what we do from day to day, just in a different, you know, it takes a different life, but we both are working with students trying to help them, you know, get through their college years and have a good experience before they go off into the real world and hopefully, uh, hopefully lead us someday. So the wedding going to be in Florida or in Puerto Rico? I would love for it to be in Puerto Rico. I advocated for Puerto Rico. I think most of my family advocated for Puerto Rico, but no, we're going to do it in Orlando because it's, it's easier for everyone to get here and you know, we're pretty inclusive people. We didn't want to, we didn't want a destination wedding where it was going to be challenging for people to get to sure. being that it's in December, you know, people are planning for Christmas. We want to make it easy and cheap. So, so we're now we're doing it here in Orlando because Orlando is such an easy city to get to. And so many of our friends uh, live in this area. So we just, we just decided to do it here. Gotcha. Who is the most famous person you've ever met and when and where was that? Most of my celebrity meetups are, are rowing related. Um, you know, they celebrities, what I would call celebrities in the rowing world, I've gotten to meet and I see them as celebrities, but just okay. because, you know, they, they have a big role in our sport. So I, I've, I've built a, a kind of a, a somewhat of an acquaintance relationship with, with some coaches that, that are pretty big giants in our sport. I'm pretty lucky to I learned early on to just stick my hand out and say hi to people. Right. Uh, even though I grew up a pretty shy kid, I, I learned how to just walk up to, and you know, like I said before, like with rowing being a sport where the coaches are willing to talk to each other quite a bit. I just, I just, I've found there's a lot of, I've had a lot of success in just sticking out my hand in front of big coaches and saying, Hey, how you doing? And so I've gotten to meet, you know, Mike Tatey who's Olympic national team coach and Tom Tayar's a women's national team coach. Um, some of the bigger names in our sport in terms of collegiate coaches, uh, Yaz Farouk, for example, at University of Wisconsin, or excuse me, University of Washington women's rowing team, who's one of the best in the country. She's a phenomenal coach that I look up to quite a bit, how she manages people. I got to have an interaction with her once and discuss rowing with her a little bit and how she does things out there. And so those are some of the more popular people I've come across, uh, at least in our sport, outside of rowing. I'm trying to think. I, I mean, Busy Bone from Bone Thugs and Harmony used to live in Westerville, and every once in a while we'd we'd see him. Uh, more common than not, uh, Archie Griffin is still a pretty big sure. figure in in, uh, in in Columbus, Ohio, and and we'd see him out at the grocery store or something every so often. <laughs> um, that was kind of unique because he 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 liked to drive to Westerville sometimes for some reason. I don't know why, but um, yeah, some some more. Um, local celebrities in, in Ohio state football world, which, you know, I'm a big fan sure. of growing up in Columbus. And, you know, if, 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 if you are a fan of Columbus of, of the Buckeyes, then, then these might as well be national heroes sure. uh, for you. So. Absolutely. I got a series of questions there. First thing that pops in your mind and we'll rattle through them. Favorite, break, favorite breakfast cereal. Oh, Raisin Bran. It's, it's, I, I know people laugh cause it's kind of, people see it as an old man thing, but I, I love it. Favorite cartoon character? Bugs Bunny. Favorite superhero? Oh, shoot. I, I mean, first come to mind is Batman, but I, I've always been a big fan of Spider-Man. Growing up, I was a big fan of Spider-Man. If you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to be able to fly. Uh, I, I just think there's something so freeing about being able to just, just jump up in the air and take off and not have to worry about going across ground. I, I like to get to places and see things. I the journey is not always the fun part for me. So I, I, being able to fly would be fun. What's your guilty pleasure? I, I'm not as hard of a worker when it comes to 
physical exertion as I probably should be. I, I don't work out as much as I should. I, one of my guilty pleasures is to sit on the couch on a Sunday morning and drink coffee and, and watch uh, something on TV. It, it sounds simple, but it makes me feel guilty because I'm like, I should be doing something right now. But that's, that's the way I like to spend my Sundays. What's your favorite kind of cookie? Chocolate chip. PC or Mac? PC. Place to go on a dream vacation. I'd say probably Europe, uh, someplace in Europe. I've, I, I've always wanted to go to Ireland. I have ancestors there. I always want to see it. Italy would be fun too. I'd like to go there as well. And then more recently, Spain. Who was your celebrity crush when you were 12? Uh, now, it, it's funny enough. It's, it's, it, if I'm being honest, it's still true. I, I, I have a huge crush on Natalie Portman. I always have. What's your favorite movie? Or movies. I Forrest Gump is probably my favorite movie. I that's it's a, it's a, it's a story, and I love stories. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Uh, Christmas Vacation. It makes it doesn't matter how many times I watch it; it still makes me laugh. Popular answer. What TV show or shows are you binging on right now? Uh, well, like I feel like everyone in the country watched Tiger King recently, um, but my fiance and I have been watching The Crown. Uh, she loves. She's a big fan of the the monarch in England, and I just I just love the history of it. So we've been enjoying that. What was your first concert? When and where? I saw a Switchfoot concert when I was in this after the summer after my seventh. So it had been going into my eighth grade year, um, and that was in Ohio. Um, I don't know why Switchfoot. I think I just it was just convenient, but uh, I, I still like Switchfoot a little bit. So who or what are you listening to now? Oh geez, um, I've I, since I've left Ohio, I've kind of grown to like country again. I grew up around country, and I hated it in high school and college. And now that I'm not in Ohio, I find that I'm listening to country. I tune the station to that more often than not. Um, where do you go when you need some time alone? I still like to work out. That's that's probably the biggest motivation to work out is just to have some alone time. Um, but uh, I tend to, I have some bikes. I, I've always, you know, when it wasn't rowing, I was biking. And so I, I still get on my bike. And just like when I was a kid and rode around in Westerville, I still get on my bike sometimes and just ride around Orlando. Um, if you could be on a game show, what game show would you want to be on? Oh, I, I'd love to be on Jeopardy. Although I think, I, I don't think I'd make it past the first round, but, but I, I, I love that. that I, that's one of the only game shows I like to watch. What's your favorite place to go to eat dinner? You know, Orlando is such an amazing place for food. There's so many different options. I don't think there's a single place that we go to repeatedly. Um, there's there's always a new restaurant we're checking out. So I, I just like to go out in, in general and eat uh, food. What's your go-to karaoke song? I am not somebody who likes to stand on a stage like that. So I, I, karaoke terrifies me. Um, I don't think I could do it. Uh, I, I've never, I don't think I've ever been on a karaoke stage. I don't think I ever could be. I get too shy. Instagram, Instagram, TikTok, or something else? Uh, I, I tend to spend a lot of time on Instagram. Part of that is recruiting because uh, it's a popular place uh, for recruiting, but it's also just fun to, you know, look at pictures and videos of rowing. And, and uh, I'm also into like, um, you know, woodworking and stuff. So I, I, I tend to be on there looking at that. So Instagram is where I tend to be. Name three people, living or dead, who do you want to have dinner with? I think I would love to just pick Abraham Lincoln's brain. I mean, just talk about an, an incredible leader. Um, I'd love to meet him. Um, 
I think I would, I would really love, um, I would love to have, again, same thing because the leadership, I, I would love to talk to Barack Obama um, and have dinner with him. Uh, and then um, and I'm on a presidential theme right now, I guess. But um, And then the last one I'd say would be, um, I'd say the Pope, honestly. Like that guy, I'm not a Catholic, but that guy fascinates me. I'd, I'd like to learn more about him. Just this Pope in particular? Yeah, this, this particular one. All right, last question. When a president walks in the room, they play Hail to the Chief. Wrestlers come to the ring, they get their music. What's your entrance music when you walk into a room? Uh, I always, I had friends of mine who used to joke with me, um, Aloe Black, I'm the man. He, they used to say I should play when I, when I would walk into a room as a coach, um, just because I'm, I'm younger and I'm shorter and I'm smaller. And so sometimes it's easy for people to forget that, at least back in the day when I was a head coach, they, they would forget that, you know, this is, this is the guy leading our club. Um, so just to remind people, they, they laugh that I should play, I should play that song whenever I walk into the room to remind all the, all the adults in the room that I am, I am the man, <laughs> but I, I don't think that's, that's my choice. Um, I think, uh, I don't know. I, I'll go with that one. There you go. All right. Well, I've enjoyed spending the afternoon, the, the time with you and, uh, learning about you and learning about your sports. Been a lot of fun this afternoon. Oh, thank you, Ricky. I, maybe someday I'll get to, uh, come up to, to the bird's nest and, and talk to you more. And that'll do it for this edition of How to Chatter, the podcast, presented by Insight Credit Union. I'd like to thank all of our corporate sponsors who make it possible for Stetson University and Stetson Athletics to provide our more than 400 student-athletes a quality experience on the courts and fields of competition in the same way the faculty provides all Stetson University students a quality educational experience. Those sponsors include, of course, our presenting sponsor, Insight Credit Union. Other sponsors include... Florida Public Utilities. Visit askforgas.com for more information. Geico Insurance. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com to find out how. Advent Health. Visit westvolusia.com. Old Florida, new vibe. Coca-Cola Beverages of Florida. The Alliance Community for Retirement Living. Bud Light, the official beer of Stetson University. Florida Orthopedic Associates. If it hurts, see them first. Hampton Inn and Suites of Deland. ImageWorks, your one-stop corporate identity shop. Main Street Community Bank. Familiar name, familiar faces, familiar bank. Morningstar Storage, the space you need, the way you want it. Orlando Sanford International Airport. Visit flysfb.com. Simpler, faster, better. Total Comfort, the name you can trust and Weston Lake Mary, Orlando North, for a better you. Thank you to all of our corporate sponsors. Insight Credit Union is a proud partner of Stetson University Athletics. Insight has been bringing better banking to Central Florida for nearly 85 years. Insight Credit Union is your local go-to for lower rates on auto and other loans, credit cards, and more. Insight Credit Union and you, better together.